WBNE. Howdy, Yokes. Before we get started, we want to let you know that this episode of Bacon and Eggs is brought to you by our patrons. We want to build this thing to be as big as it can be, and we want to make more podcasts for you. And actually, the WBNE Network has like a bunch of new podcasts very soon. Uh, but we can't do it alone. If you enjoyed this episode and want more Bacon and Eggs or more WBNE, head over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash bacon and eggs. Check out all the great reward tiers we have over there, including our $10 tier, which gets you access to the bonus show, which is the hash browns. But you also get unedited episodes of Bacon and Eggs. So no more Fortnites. And you get to hear all the little like weird, awkward silences and pauses. And a lot of people really like that. Ah, and you can hear all the great behind-the-scenes moments that go into making an episode. We could really use your help to make this podcast and this network the best it can possibly be, so thank you so much for donating, and thank you even more for listening. Howdy, Oaks, and welcome back to Bacon and Eggs! I'm Tyler Carlin. And I'm Casey Winters. And today we're delivering a baby! Or maybe we're just learning to be a sorcerer. So study your spells. And save the kingdom. Because today we're bringing you... Willow! Before I get into the stats, it is the kingdom, right? What are they saving exactly? <laughs> the land, the kingdom. The la- yeah, the, the world. The country. <laughs> Who knows? It, it doesn't matter. The planet, yeah. It- right. The, 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 the glorious it. <laughs> um, well, I am joined this week, as you can tell by Casey Winters. Ethan is unavailable at the moment, um, but we, he'll be back in due time. Uh, but he just had a, a family matter he needed to attend to. Willow, uh, Casey, by the way, Hello. is world's biggest willow stand <laughs> up until today when i saw it <laughs> i love uh, that uh w- and casey is the father of elsewhere uh if you have not listened to his podcast hello from elsewhere i honestly wouldn't even mind you pausing this and then going and downloading every episode of hello from elsewhere just to give yourself something to do maybe if you want to fall asleep at night or if you have <laughs> a long drive coming up you just want to make sure you've got that packed away ready to go when you need it <laughs> casey's great Thank you. I'm so excited Casey's here. I'm so excited to be here. So excited. Uh, Willow was directed by Ron Howard, which doesn't surprise me at all after I finished watching it. Uh, It came out May 28th, 1988, which was 11,910 days ago. It had a $35 million budget, made $137.6 million worldwide, which is great money for what it was. I got a 51% critic rating and a 79% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes and a 47 on Metacritic. Casey. Do you yeah. have a negative review for me? I do. Or do positive? Who does the positive? I don't remember. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I think Ethan does the negative I think review. So. Do you have a negative review? Yeah. Who's this from? Uh, let's see. That is from... It's from the ether. Gene Siskel. Oh, Siskel of Siskel and Ebert said, there isn't a single major character in the film who is engaging. Cold. I don't agree. It's cold hearted. That is cold hearted. I have a review from Sheila Benson from the Los Angeles Times, which I really should have found something in England because that's my forte. <laughs> that's yeah. But I honestly, there's nothing on this front page from, from across the pond. So Sheila Benson from LA says, if it evaporates from memory with the airness of a bubble bath, at least it leaves a friendly glow and a sense of a magical world lovingly evoked, which I think describes exactly how I felt for this film. Yeah. That's beautiful. Like, it's not too heavy. It's not taking itself too seriously. 
but it does have a friendly glow. Yeah, it does. Willa came out one year after The Princess Bride. This is clearly trying to capitalize on that, right? Sort of. Yeah, sort of. George Lucas had the idea because he did the the story and, you know, Ron Howard directed it. But Lucas had the idea for this in like 72, but it didn't come to fruition until, you know, 16 years later. Oh, you could tell that he tried because as I was watching it, I was like, I get, I mean, you like Star Wars is prevalent throughout the whole thing. Oh, yeah. It is so clearly the same person yes <laughs> like even just like we went from a forest landscape to a snowy landscape to you know like right. even that part is like ah yes star wars you have the you have the farmer hero you have the scoundrel right. sidekick kind of character you have the the witty um princess type character you have the two comedic reliefs that are small and yeah it it's to a t you also have like little actors Yes. Up, up to this point in George Lucas's career, that was like a hallmark between Jawas and Ewoks. Right. Well, and the the crazy thing, too, is in an early draft of A New Hope, he was going to make Luke Skywalker a little person. So Really? Yeah, but that sort of changed. But that obviously, um, you know, it, it was transplanted here. You know, he still had that idea. He really wanted to have a little, a kingdom of little people. So I think, I mean, I... I loved that. Right. I thought it was awesome. And, and at first when I was watching it, and I, if I'm wrong about this, please tell me no. But when I was watching it, I was like, is this like offensive in any way? But then I was like, I think I'm being offensive for thinking such, right? Because this is this is representation. This is good. Yeah. I'd, I'd be interested to know how little people feel about Willow. I'm not really sure, you know? And, yeah. And it... it, it it wouldn't be great for either of us to try to speak for them, but yeah, it, it's no, yeah, hard. Of course, I've thought that too many times. Like, I don't know if it's offensive or not. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I know not either. I, it did seem decent representation. I mean, like the you know the hero character is a buff white male, and uh, you know he's got the the love interest. But like the sorceress at the end, both of them being older women to me was like a like at least moderately surprising. You know, if he's trying to play on Gandalf and, and Saruman, there's at least some gender bending yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. I thought that was a lot of fun there at the end. I did too. I also so let's let's pull some listener reviews because okay. I want to I want to talk about those. Okay. Uh pop in a Discord, tell me find one and let me know what read it to me. Do you want a positive one, negative? What do you what do you want from me? Uh, just just any. Any. Yeah. Okay. Let me scroll up. Okay, I'm going to read Mats's. Mats from Norway. He said, I was hoping you would. Is it weird? Yeah. Will everyone like it? Probably not. Do I love it with every fiber of my being? And will it put a smile on my face every time I watch it? Yes. Yes, it will. That echoes my feelings on this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. I've got one from Claire. She says, I mean, it was, it has narrative purpose and was worth being made. I can see why it's a cult classing, but it's just not for me. 53 out of 100. I yeah. genuinely don't get this. Okay, let's talk about it. <laughs> so I was going into this movie like, I really don't want to watch this uh, because Casey loves it and I'm going to hate it. Right. And I like, I, I, I'm not looking forward to that conversation. But then I was like, okay, maybe I'll watch it and I'll like it because Casey likes it and Casey's my friend. And, right. you know, that'll that'll color my feelings enough that, that I'll be able to sit through this and, and kind of like have this cult experience with it the way that... Uh, you know, other cult classics. I'm trying to think of a cult classic and they've all escaped my brain. Uh, yeah, I can't think of a single one. They're gone. They're gone, Casey. All the movies. Uh, but Willow. And I was watching it 
and I was reading all these reviews from our listeners. I was reading reviews on, on Rotten Tomatoes and I was like, God, this is just going to be so hard. I don't understand the negative reviews flat out. I don't get it. A lot of people were complaining about the acting or the cinematography or the script. I loved all of those things, but like I'm watching it and I'm sitting here thinking cinematography isn't so bad that I couldn't watch it. Additionally, the, uh, um, acting wasn't so bad that I couldn't watch it. Like there was some campy moments and stuff, but it was, it wasn't so bad that it took me out of it. It didn't feel like watching a fan film, you know? Yeah. I think there's a lot of cheesiness that you have to allow this movie to, um, you know, to have, I think that that's what makes it fun. This movie isn't supposed to be super serious and right. it's just, it's goofy in the, in the best possible way. Right. This was everything. Uh, what's that Halloween one that everybody likes? Not Halloween town. The other oh, one. Hocus Pocus. This was everything Hocus Pocus wished it could be. Oh yeah. I could see that. Uh, in fact, like towards the end of it, I was like at Halloween, I'm going to watch Willow moving <laughs> forward. <laughs> I love that. I'm so happy. Willoween. I'm so happy that you liked it. Like I was kind of, I wouldn't say worried because this is the type of movie I love, but I also know why people wouldn't love it, especially if they're watching it in 2020. But the fact that you are watching it in 2020 and still got what it was, got what it was and enjoyed it, that makes me over the moon. Well, I think part of why I was able to enjoy it is I don't know what I'm supposed to expect from 1988. Yeah. Like to me, this was no better or worse in terms of like special effects than the princess bride, which is a cult. I mean, not even a cult classic. It's just a beloved classic. Yeah. Uh, and then like, yeah, there's some campy, silly moments, but in the breakfast club, there's that moment where the jock breaks like a, a glass door by like rocking too hard. <laughs> right. Like <laughs> it's just the eighties. This is the eighties. Right. <laughs> and that was a, that's a beloved classic. So I don't understand why Willow couldn't be, you know, fantastic in every way. Well, that's the thing I love about movies, especially older movies, is that they are such a product of their time. So I love that you can put this on and it is the 80s, even though it's supposed to be set in this fantasy world. And I know that can turn a lot of people off. They want it to be sort of timeless. But I love right. that you can watch it. And because of the special effects and the haircuts and and all of it, that you can tell it's an 80s movie. That I think that's amazing. I love that. I do, too. And I'd be curious if uh, I think that's something like if you were to watch it in 1988, would the haircuts could throw you off? Because something like uh, Lord of the Rings, yeah, Aragorn's hair doesn't throw me off to this day. Right. Um, but how do you like if you were Ron Howard and George Lucas in 1988, how do you like determine what the timeless haircut's supposed to look like? Right. It's the same thing in Star Wars. Everything looks very 70s, especially a new hope you know everyone's got these big sideburns or mustaches and it's very 70s and right. i love that yeah i love star wars if what? i like no way <laughs> me too yeah. oh it's fantastic <laughs> it's the best uh yeah star wars is great right well and this came out so yeah this came out in 88 return of the jedi had been you know done for five years for all intents and purposes star wars was over um indiana jones was almost done with the Last Crusade came out came out in 89. So George Lucas was like looking for the next series. He was he was looking for something to sort of continue that fun adventure, um, slightly silly romp that he likes to make. Uh, right. And and this was going to be it. This was what he wanted to be next. And it it really wasn't. It didn't do 
super well. Critics kind of panned it. Um, and people didn't really love it that much. It kind of gained some legs later when, when the kids that saw it then kind of got a little bit older. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. It's just so much fun. And I kind of liked that it's its own thing, that it's not really well known and not a lot of people have seen it. And that makes it kind of extra fun. I also love that there is this parallel with Star Wars. One, that this looks exactly like Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Um, like shot for shot. Right. Uh, but two, that like Willow directed by Ron Howard, like Ron Howard also did Rogue One. Solo. Yeah. Solo. Sorry. Yeah. You're correct. And now there's there's that connection, right? So right. I don't know. I Well, yeah, it goes back even, even farther than that. So um, George Lucas made American Graffiti, which starred Ron Howard. And that's, I think, when they met. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ron Howard had been directing a movie called Cocoon, which is another kind of cheesy sci-fi um, fantasy-like kind of thing. And during post- post-production, he was at ILM. And that's kind of when he and George Lucas got together with this idea that George had been cooking up for a long time to make Willow. And, and Ron Howard was super excited to do it. He, I think he and, and George really got along pretty well, which is, I mean, it makes sense why they would bring him on for solo yeah ron howard has a pretty long history with with lucasfilm so right i i really like ron howard i'm looking at his uh sort of history here i've seen a lot of ron howard movies more than i would have thought he makes a lot of just really pleasing movies you know i think Mm -hmm. people have called him safe i don't think that's a bad thing necessarily um no i don't think it is either i think he's definitely a little bit more uh middle of the road than like a ryan johnson but but you know who was safe in 2008 was John Favreau and yeah. now he's the Mandalorian guy. He's the he's the MCU guy. Like he's so the I guy, think, yeah. You know, playing it safe there is a time where I mean you get to work on Star Wars, you get to make How the Grinch Stole Christmas, you get to make Willow, you get to make Apollo 13, you get to do the Da Vinci Code movies which like maybe for you and me and our audience who are more interested in, you know, like family friendly and young adult type stuff isn't super exciting but my mom (laughs) read the da vinci code cover to cover without setting it down yeah like and then it spread to everyone she knew i'm pretty sure that's everyone's mom i think that's a mom thing (laughs) (laughs) have you read it i have not read the da vinci code i've seen the movie i read angels and demons i don't know why i didn't read da vinci code but i i think in the fiction that comes first though, right right? but i think it came second publishing wise i think right the da vinci code i think was written first Okay. My problem with Da Vinci Code is when my mom was reading it, obviously I was like a child, but uh, it's it's a hardback book and it was so big and I like I don't like big hardback books. I like if you listen to Bacon and Eggs, you know this, but I like a paperback, yeah. like a mass market in my back pocket paperback. Right. <laughs> and that was my big problem. And that's like been what's holding me back from reading it, despite the fact that I'm certain I could buy it now or just get like an ebook version. Right. Yeah. Well, back to John Favreau, would mm-hmm. Would the Mandalorian exist or would the child in the Mandalorian exist without Willow? I think that's the big question. Oh, you're you're equating Alora the baby with Willow and the right. child in the Mandalorian. I mean, because John Favreau and Dave Filoni have both gone on record like they were huge George Lucas fans. They knew what he was up to in the 80s. I'm sure that there was some some sort of connection. I mean, there's a lot of influence in the Mandalorian. I don't know that they've ever said that Willow was an influence. I maybe I think I'm saying anything, that tongue in cheek, but I think I think there could be. I think anything George Lucas touches influences it. Yeah, like George Lucas, people 
especially our age, are like not huge Lucas fans. Like we're the ones who pushed him to sell Star Wars. Right. Uh, but like if you read about Lucas and if you watch things he's done other than uh, Star Wars, although those were fantastic, um, like he's he's so smart. He's so good and he's so groundbreaking and he has such a style to him. Uh, I think if you are John Favreau and Dave Filoni, which like, I don't know if this was true in season one, but in season two, George Lucas was on set and in the writer's room every day. Was he on? Was he in there every day? I know he visited. Well, I don't know about every day, but but he was there. Yeah, his presence was there in some fashion, for sure. Which I feel like through the sequel trilogy and through maybe season one, even it was like, let's let's not call George. Let's yeah, you know, let's give them space and give him space and then then it all came back well i do know he visited ron howard on the set of solo um but of course they were friends like we mentioned so that makes sense right i think george even helped him direct one of the scenes on the day he was there and ron howard was giddy a giddy old man <laughs> ron howard is great and now ron howard's daughter is a i think the best star wars director living right now i really do i loved her episodes for sure yeah she's fantastic um if she's the future of Star Wars, I'm not upset at all. Right. <laughs> Her and Deborah Chow, like, bring it on. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about your history with Willow. How did, like, how did you even first see this? Was it something you came to at adulthood, or was it, like, a childhood thing, or? Willow's technically the first movie I saw in theaters. Really? I was eight or nine months old, so obviously I don't <laughs> remember it. Right. But I related really well to Laura Dan and the baby, for sure, in the movie. Right. Uh, no, so um, I, I actually have it with me. I brought it to show you. My mom, my mom had a journal for me, right? A baby journal. Mm-hmm. And she liked to write in it in first person as if I, the baby, was writing in the journal, right? Oh, that's sweet. Really cute. Eventually, she got tired and she's like, I'm going to let mom write now. And then started writing in her own voice, right? Oh, that's good. But that's good. Before that. So this is May, opening day of Willow, even. And we were in California at the time. And... Uh, can I can I read from my journal to you? I, is, that, I mean, is that allowed? Can, you tell me. Can you read from your journal to me? <laughs> well, I didn't write it, so I'm not really, you know. Are uh, you reading your mother's diary on the internet right. for everyone to hear? <laughs> yeah, so we were in California. We were visiting some family. And mm-hmm. and she writes, that night we went to the movie Willow. I slept, so that's me, the baby. I slept for just half hour, uh, for half an hour, and then got really wiggly. So mom had to take me out in the hall. All the movie workers gathered around to watch me. They were amazed. I can crawl and sit up and walk when you hold my hands. They, they must not have a lot of babies in California. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> Someday, sometimes I think about those movie workers. Like, do they remember when Willow came out and the baby crawling around the popcorn-ridden floor? Must have been a special you, day. Must have. It wasn't <laughs> like, you have kids. Have you ever brought yeah. your eight-month-old or nine-month-old to the movie? We took our, when our oldest was little, we took him, but it was like, Middle of the day, no one was there. Um, I kind of just hung out with him out in the hall. Kind of the same situation. I think it was Monsters University. Um, but generally, we do, don't take babies. Although, speaking of Solo, um, our youngest now, she was born on the day Solo came out. So I had to... Oh, God. You had of, to like miss the delivery to see Solo. I almost did. I had to return the <laughs> ticket. I would have... like Yeah, I would have missed it. But I returned the ticket. Um, and so... Valerie and I went, you know, a couple weeks later, took the baby. There weren't very many people in the in the theater, but the baby had like a blowout on the movie theater seat. So that oh, was a lot no. of a lot of fun. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. I think I the first six months of Olivia's life, gone. Gone from memory. Right. But I'm pretty sure we brought her to a movie. Maybe I don't know when it came out, but how the Grinch still or the Grinch yeah. comes to mind. Uh, but it could have been somebody else that I brought. Could have been my niece. I don't know. Um I have vague memory of doing that, but I think if we did, we would have brought the car seat in and just had her like pass out in the car seat. Yeah. But I don't know. Did she have a blowout during the I don't Grinch? think so. Mm, the only good. the only blowout I remember is like we went to the beach when she was two months old, which was oncoming parents, take your infant infant to the beach because it's the easiest thing in the world. All they do is cry, sleep, and poop. Uh, this week on Bacon and Eggs, Tyler and Casey talk about blowouts. Yeah. But we had just gotten to the beach and like we took, pulled her out of the car seat and it was like time to change the diaper because she'd been in the car seat for like six hours. And we put her down on the couch and immediately, I mean, it was soft surf. It was <laughs> all over the couch, <laughs> which is another reason that soft serve is disgusting. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, and speaking of babies, this movie has a baby in it a lot. It does. It's a pair of twins. She's cute. They're cute. I guess cute. there's a couple of them. Yeah. They're yeah, super I, cute. I did grow up with this movie. So even though, yeah, it was my first movie technically, obviously I didn't remember that, but we had it on VHS and so we watched it a lot. I think my dad hates Willow. He's never <laughs> said why, but but he Do hates Do you have Willow. any of those? The movies that I hate that my kids watch? Right. Like your kids has watched it a million times and now it just drives you up the wall. No, I usually just leave the room if it's not my jam. I'm the same way. Olivia's still pretty small, but we do Frozen 2 a lot. It yeah. just doesn't bother me. I never get tired. Right. They either watch things that I do like, and it's fine. They, they mm -hmm. watch a lot of, like, the kids' TV, though, and sometimes that can get grating. But they watch enough different things that it's fine. But, yeah. Do your kids do Coco Melon? They do. Yeah. Coco Melon is always on in my house. They do that one. They watch Bluey, which is on Disney+, and it's amazing. And... I, I would watch it just you know, just just because just that Valerie does. She literally watches it just because <laughs> like the kids go to bed and she's like, time for Bluey. Time for Bluey. Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, so you grew up with it. Your dad hated it. You had it on VHS. Yeah. Talk me through the, the film itself. What are we what's the overarching theme here? What are we learning? I, I think it is sort of the hero's journey. And and it is like it harkens back to Star Wars and. There's a lot of Lord of the Rings influence in here. So I think mm -hmm. it, it thematically it's pretty simple. There's a lot of the, you know, good versus evil. Um, oh, man, I don't know. What 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 did you catch? What stood out to you? Uh, I mean, th exactly that good versus evil. I liked uh, I don't know if this is thematically, but I did like the sort of Gulliver's Travels esque mm. feel to it where there's like. I, I mean, I really loved the whole special effect entirely of like, there's big people and then there's little people and then there's tiny people. Right. Although I did hate the tiny people. Yeah. Not the, the brownies. By virtue of the fact that they're tiny. Yeah. Yeah. But like, they were so annoying. No, they were. That's one thing that I feel like hasn't aged well as an adult. I like most of this movie still. Um, I loved the brownies as a kid. Now I do find them grating for sure. Yeah. Although I do think calling them brownies is a little overtly racist, right? I mean, yep. I know they're played by white people, but like walking into a room and being like, oh, I hate brownies just feels like, I don't think you can say that. Well, I think that's like an actual type of mythical creature. Like the Willow didn't invent brownies as a character. No? No. 
they're in other they're in other media um trying to think what else like fable haven i mean those are books that came out a lot later but there is a a, a willow book if i'm not mistaken <laughs> yeah so so george old george he wanted this to be like a big series didn't really catch on and so then they decided to turn it into a trilogy there's three of them um and he did like the overarching outline story of it kind of like he did here with the movie and then chris claremont wrote the novels um who he's like a mostly a comic book writer which seems strange that they wouldn't just make it a comic book because that would be cool but uh, i haven't read them i don't know anything about them i do remember seeing them once in like my high school library that was when i discovered them and i saw this mm -hmm. cover i was like oh that's interesting and it had george lucas's name on it and then i was reading the about thing and i was like wait laura dannon willow i was like what the heck is this so that was pretty exciting but i never actually read it i thought about i i knew that they existed but i have not have not picked them up i have to read a lot of books this year that's like my whole thing might as well do that one maybe i should try that one too maybe maybe i should i'm willing to bet it's a free ebook a lot of things are <laughs> <laughs> um i would say like in terms of themes as well in this movie the whole you know we touched on it earlier but the the little guy versus the big, the big bad. And this is, it's just more literal here, but George Lucas loves that, that theme. Right. Like I said, he wanted it in the original script of Star Wars. Then he puts it in the Ewoks and, um, and even things like Anakin in episode one has a lot of that too. A lot well, of that and influence. Then, and then in episode two, you have the duel. Actually, episode two and three, you have duels with Yoda. True. Yeah. He loves the little guy for sure. I think that's why I like George so much. I I love Little Guy Media. Right. I'm a huge fan. Like Hobbit's my favorite part. Yeah. Uh Willow, I think, is a fascinating character. Uh I I don't like Ewoks. Not an Ewok guy. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I could take them or leave them. I don't hate them, but No, yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't say I hate them. And I think if I'm ever watching Return of the Jedi, I'm like, that's pretty cute. Right. <laughs> but they spend so much time with them and then the like C three PO is a god thing. Return of the Jedi is a worthwhile film, okay? But I don't know why anybody was surprised when the prequels came out and they weren't fantastic. <laughs> You're saying the writing was on the wall. Yes. <laughs> I also love the prequels. Uh, I saw a TikTok trend today that was like, show me that you know your... What was the moment that you knew you were getting older? And it was mine. I didn't make it, but I, I like scripted it in my brain. And mine was like, when I was a kid, the prequels sucked. Everyone hated the prequels. Right. <laughs> And now everybody loves them. Now they're the only thing. Everyone loves the prequels. Everybody, yeah. How dare you watch original trilogy or the sequel trilogy. Right. Although you are a sequel trilogy apologist. I love the sequel trilogy. Yeah. I I really do. I yeah. I think I've cooled a little bit on Rise of Skywalker, which hurts me a little bit. Not I don't hate it or anything, but The Last Jedi is possibly my favorite Star Wars period. So I love the sequel trilogy. Uh, Last Jedi is very possibly my favorite star wars yeah uh i love people like every time somebody puts an argument up like this is stupid or it doesn't make sense and then i rewatch the series i'm like nope last jedi is perfect it, yeah. It, yeah. it fits everything people be like i don't know how leia floated through space like that it's like well in episode three grievous and anakin and palpatine and obi-wan all did that so that's in canon you know plus and, i don't get that like star wars has always each subsequent movie has had new force powers and new uses of the force. Like now we're upset about that by the time of last Jedi, like right at the time of return of the Jedi, we'd never seen force lightning. Were people freaking out about that? Like, were they mad? Yeah. 
Right. And then uh, what's the other? Oh, Canto Bite. That's the one people have an issue with. Mm. And that was for me a little bit like, yeah, I don't love the Canto Bite thing. But the more I think about it, Star Wars, half of its name is Wars. Half of the name. Yeah. 50% of the letters are Wars. Uh, You have to have a battle that you lose. You have to have the heroes make a bad decision. And I don't feel like we get enough of that in episodes one through seven. I think people get hung up on, it, it seems to me, they get hung up on the look of Cantobite because I think parts of it don't look great. But thematically, I think it totally fits. It's totally in keeping with the rest of the movie and Star Wars as a whole. Yeah. And then the last one that people get upset about is the the fight scene in the throne room, which I cannot imagine disliking what? for any yeah, reason. That's crazy. <laughs> that's ridiculous. But people... People would be like, well, the choreography is so bad. It's like, well, one, we've already established these people are not expert swordsmen because they haven't spent their entire lives studying. Yeah. Okay. Listen, listener. I'm listening. The prequel trilogy is about what if the Jedi were expert swordsmen? The sequel trilogy is about what if the Jedi were masters of the force in ways that they could not imagine and were not master swordsmen in any way. Right. And it's wonderful. And I love it. And it's so good. It's so good. So good. Man, Star Wars. I knew... Here's here's the ulterior motive, a peek inside Casey's brain. I yeah. love Willow. I really do. It is a Lucasfilm movie. I knew I was coming on Bacon and Eggs. And I'm like, well, Tyler and I inevitably talk about Star Wars. It just happens every right. time. Right. I might as well just shorten the segue between the two by choosing a Lucasfilm movie. There right? we go. Yeah. And without making me watch Indiana Jones, not that I dislike those movies, but I'm kind of like, I got a thing going where I've only seen the first one and the Crystal Skull. And I just want to see how long I can go without seeing the other two. You haven't seen Last Crusade? Is that not oh. the first one? I can never tell because they're not named correctly. Well, yeah, because George Lucas likes to change names after the fact, right? It was it was just called Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then as when it became a series, they're like, well, we got to put Indiana Jones in front of it. So Raiders right. is the first one. Then there's Temple of Doom. Then there's Last Crusade, and then there's Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I think Last Crusade a... is wonderful, and it's my favorite by far. And unpopular opinion, I would rather watch Crystal Skull than Temple of Doom, but that's just me. I really enjoyed Crystal Skull. Yeah, I think I it's I remember fun. watching it. That was the first one I saw because we didn't do a lot of, I say older films. We didn't do any in Jones in my house. Yeah. Um, and... So when I saw Crystal Skull, I was like, wow, this is a fantastic character and I would love to see more. Right. Uh, but then I just haven't, other than when we did Raiders on Bacon and Eggs. It's super silly, but I think, yeah, I think it's fun. Temple of Doom is just very depressing and dour and I'm not a huge fan of it. I do think Harrison Ford is just a fantastic actor, though. Yeah, definitely. Outside of his films, though, he doesn't care about them in any way. He doesn't like, like he would never go to a con or anything and he doesn't engage with the fans he just shows up does his job plays his part and then he leaves compared to mark hamill who is like i am luke skywalker you could take that or leave it what do you what do you make of that do you i mean like obviously it's their life it's their choice if they're a good actor and they're perfect for the part but how do you feel about that not knowing harrison ford personally it seems to me like he started out kind of being grumpy about it all and then just because it was silly and he was okay with it being silly but then People kept asking him questions about it. And so then he just kind of leaned into the grumpiness. That's the feeling I get, that he leans into the not caring, that he cares a little bit more than he shows, right? but doesn't fully care the way that Mark Hamill cares. Right. So you're saying that like there's almost a character within the Yes. I think, I think Harrison Ford is often in a character. Yeah. 
I think that's probably fair. I think, yeah, I don't think he's actually like angry when a fan says, you know, if Han had a lightsaber, what color would it right. be? Or like people ask him, you know, at the in Rise of Skywalker, spoiler, they ask if he was a force ghost. And he's like, what the heck is a forest ghost? You know? Right. <laughs> like, surely you know, right? You, I mean, like, right. you were there. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> Some people have said that Willow is in the Star Wars universe. What are your thoughts on I, that? Yeah, I would, I would believe that. I think that uh, the more we expand Star Wars, especially with Mando, the more the force is... Like, this is my overarching theory with... Star Wars is that like the lens that we've had of Jedi and Sith is so inherently flawed of how this world actually exists. Like that these two religions are just that they are two religions and how they handle this, the force. And if there's a planet where they treat the force differently and they use it to, you know, channel into magic to create force lightning or channel it through wands in the way that it's done in Willow, I don't think that's too far of a stretch. Yeah. Well, and that's something that I loved about the Disney era of Star Wars is them opening that up, like you said. Like even in Rogue One, they go to Jeddah, which is this city that there's all kinds of religions of the Force. There's, it's not a Jedi and Sith thing. And right. I, I wish we got more of that. But um, yeah, I totally agree. I, th- I think Willow could be in the Star Wars universe. It, the, the, the high, what do they call him? The high Alduin, the wizard at the beginning. He, mm-hmm. the way he's talking about magic is a total Obi-Wan-ism of the force, you know? Yeah. I don't remember exactly what he says, but. Would you have won the, the contest? Which finger was it, what you were supposed to choose? Oh, I don't know. Because I've known since I was, I was a child that the answer was my own finger. Oh, I knew. I knew. You knew? Yeah. Now I'm, I'm so a grown man who consumes a lot of this <laughs> type of media, but I knew. <laughs> I love that. So you, you are a sorcerer. I am a sorcerer. You know what's so funny is when I play games where you get to like choose a role or a character, I almost always go for the little guy. Like in D and D, I play a, a halfling, mm-hmm. um, and like if I roll a new character, it's almost always like a gnome or a halfling. Uh, I always play like a a weak small character. Yeah. But then on the flip side of things, I almost always pick like a combat role as opposed to like a magic role, which I think is a I don't know what that says about me. Uh, I, th- I think it's because we don't get a lot of characters like Willow where he's a little person and he's magic it's exciting it is exciting it's like if frodo could also be gandalf yes that would be fantastic really the first act of willow is the fellowship of the ring i mean like you know here let me i'm gonna read you a paragraph you tell me if i'm describing lord of the rings or willow okay okay (laughs) Okay. and and i'm saying this not you know from a critical negative standpoint i i'm okay with this but A small person lives in a green country, far removed from the goings-on of the wider world, where the big people live. There's a town party and a mysterious thing that a group of little people must take out of their idyllic home into the dangerous world, sent by a wizard, um, you know, with a big white beard. Also, it's filmed in New Zealand. Oh, was Willow filmed in New Zealand? Parts of it were, yeah. So, it's like basically Lord of the Rings, other than instead of a magical ring, it's a baby. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, even the homes were the same, like... Everything yeah. was like dome shaped and yeah. <laughs> well, and uh, I mean, I, I keep going back to George Lucas because I just find him really interesting. So I apologize for my random trivia, but no, you're fine. Um, That's what we're here for. He even in, you know, 
another early draft of Star Wars, he like line for line copied Gandalf's greeting to Bilbo when Obi-Wan greets Luke Skywalker. Like clearly George Lucas was a fan of of Lord of the Rings. Um if if Willow wasn't evidence of that enough. Right. And I think I think that's pretty clear. I think, you know, people knocking off the hero's journey. Like watching even Willow, I was like, mm, Rowling got some inspiration from this. Right. Yeah. Uh although I mean that could have come from anything. She could have been reading Lord of the Rings or she could have been I I I my curiosity is if you sit down to write a novel, and I know you can't do that without inspiration today, like, does the hero's journey just come to you as, like, an obvious version of your story? Like, or do you sit down and say, I'm going to write the hero's journey. Who's going to be my meek character? Who's going to be, yeah. you know, my meek protagonist? And then who's going to be my wizened uh, older sage right. character? And, you know, I, I just don't know how that writing process works because it feels like cheating to me right feels like if i sat down to write that story it would probably end up pretty good but i would feel like i ripped it off right well i think i i think i think that i don't know about jk rowling um i'm not i i know for you know it's it's definitely most likely that tolkien was really aware of of hero's journey stories george lucas was super i mean he was pretty formulaic about it he he loved joseph campbell he was really well, well read on Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey. So yeah, I, he totally read the Hero's Journey and kind of plugged it in, threw in some Flash Gordon, threw, him, threw in some Westerns, um, threw in some Kurosawa, and then out came this Star Wars thing. So George Lucas himself was very, very studied on Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey for sure. I didn't know that there was like a source. To, who's Joseph Campbell? So Joseph Campbell is like a mythologist. Um, he even met... He once said about George Lucas like that he was his best student because of oh. his work with Star Wars um, and, and how much he had taken what Joseph Campbell had written. Basically, he, he looked at all these old mythologies, old stories, and found all these commonalities, these common themes, of and, and wrote about how they're so similar and have all these certain aspects. So like the, you have the, the young hero. He goes through a stage where he rejects the... The heroic quest and then he decides to go on this heroic quest and then he has a descent into darkness there's all these steps of the actual hero's journey i don't mm-hmm. know that he was ever i don't know that campbell was ever like prescriptive like that all stories have to have this i think it was more about looking into the past and all these stories that did have this so i think right. some writers could take it too far and be like yeah the story has to have all these beats um especially now where we have so many stories that follow that formula i don't think that it's a necessary thing but i do think that there's something innately comforting about the hero's journey which is kind of what he was uh, what campbell was trying to get at it is comforting it's such a good story right uh so you were saying you don't think rowling was aware that she was doing it you think she i'm just guessing she story? did i just don't know enough right of, of her process but i mean i mean based on how much mythology she threw in there how much Tolkien she threw in there, even some Star Wars. I think she would have to have some some Campbell influence. That's the thing I don't believe is that she read Tolkien. I don't know why I don't believe this, but like just given her backstory that she was like writing Philosopher's Stone on napkins at a coffee shop or whatever it was, I guess, I mean, books are inexpensive, so there's no reason why she couldn't have read it. It just doesn't seem like where she was at that stage in her life that like, I'm going to read High Fantasy would have made sense now of course i don't know what her life was prior to getting to that point so pretty sure she was she majored in literature i think i could be wrong there i'm pretty sure she had an english 
background. That I did not know. That's that's um, news to me. Someone will correct me. I can't remember all of Rowling's backstory, but um, I'm pretty sure she. I'm pretty sure yeah, she would have known a lot. I've pretty of that well stuff. closed that biography on my end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not really interested in finding that out, but um, I'm sure someone knows. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, then that obviously makes more sense. But I, the the reason I thought that is because Philosopher's Stone is is a flawed book. Like even modern editions have like typos in them. Yeah. Uh so I just wasn't. I don't know. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I. That's the funny thing about writers. A lot of them. I think more writers than you think aren't good, great spellers and aren't great grammarians. I think that story comes before um, the technical side of things. Just being yeah. a, a book editor and having to edit a lot of writers' um, stuff, that seemed to be the case. Of you were a book I worked, editor? Yeah. So um, right out of college for two years, I was a book editor. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. How many so, bad books did you read? How many good books did you read? So here's the funny thing. So I worked at a very small publishing company and when i got the job there i was like i didn't care i just wanted to edit books i didn't care what kind of books but they had them separated by like genre and department so the only one that they had like open or opening at the time was cookbooks so technically i was a cookbook editor which is funny because i'm not really a cook but um and that was fine because we got to like proofread you know books would go through like a, a check system through all the departments so i would proofread fiction or nonfiction and stuff all the time. So even though I wasn't the head copy editor of a fiction book, I read plenty of it while I was there. And it seemed like a lot of those writers, like I said, they weren't as interested in the technical grammatical side of things. So have you ever typed out a novel? I hand wrote a novel. Um, yeah. <laughs> I threw it away promptly because it wasn't great, but I wanted to be able to say that I had done it and that I had a draft. Um, you threw it away? Yeah, I know. I probably shouldn't have, but that seems yeah, that seems like such a valuable like even if it's just like a personal thing, it seems right. like such like a you know like a I get to hold this and touch yeah. this. It's still a dream. I mean, I I majored in creative writing. It's still a big dream of mine. I haven't really written a lot lately. I'd like to get back in the saddle, so to speak, sometime. But I think what I've learned talking to authors is because I I somehow have ended up talking to. I would say more than one author recently. Yeah. Not, I'm not like, you know, the king of writing or anything. <laughs> but what I've learned is uh, the mountain that you think writing a novel is, is much more manageable than you think it is, is 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 what I've gathered. Is that yeah. like, if you just put words on a page, there's a chance you'll put a good story together. Yeah, I think not so. That, not that, I, I don't want to discredit the work that authors do. I think authors are the most impressive artists in the world. Right. I I genuinely believe you, the ability to write 50,000 words in a row and have a cohesive story come from that is more impressive than filming Avengers Endgame with 300 million dollars. Right. Like I think that like the fact that one person invented all of these characters and all of these storylines and put them all together into a setting that I can imagine with my mind. Right. It's one person acting not only as director but as as the actor as the Obviously, the the screenwriter, so to speak, the sound designer, the production designer, the costume designer, all of the above. And right. it's, yeah, it's impressive. Like if you just sit there and watch all the credits from a movie, one person was all of that. And yeah. I mean, I don't mean to discredit editors and, and you know, proofreaders and things like that, but it's yeah. still a much, much smaller group of people than what goes into a lot of other art. Yeah, definitely. That's what I've been fascinated by lately is just like the concept of books as a whole. How do you, how did you majored in creative writing, Casey, inspire me. 
Tell me to write a, a novel. You should. You should write a novel. I'll edit it for you and proofread it for you. So you just got to put pen to paper. That makes me so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no, it shouldn't. <laughs> if I if I if I write it with my hands, how do you yeah. question? Yeah. If I write it with my hands, how do I know I wrote fifty thousand words? Yeah, I don't know how many words the one that I wrote was. I just I found that because um, when I type, I'm a pretty fast typer, and so I would go too fast for my brain. So handwriting allowed my you know hand and my brain to be at the same speed. So that's the only reason I had handwritten that draft. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a matter of how my brain works. But and now I want to know about Casey's writing process. Are you like a I need a G four pen on parchment, or are you like a I will take any bic pen on any sheet of paper, or do you need dots? Do you need lines? It was a. It's definitely lined. Definitely has to be lined paper, and it was a pilot pen. Um, but it could just be in any spiral bound notebook. I so I hate writing. I love brainstorming and i love editing but that middle part the actual pen to paper or or letter to screen i hate that part it's the worst to me i'm always so afraid of that part i uh i listen to books about it because i didn't major in creative writing i majored in philosophy so i can make sure my story's airtight (laughs) uh although i don't think i could (laughs) (laughs) um so I listen to books about like creative writing because I, I do it, – it is such a bucket list item to have a hardback copy of a book that I wrote that right. is in also the homes of 10 other people. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, outlining. Do, do you believe in, in outlining the full story or do you feel like it's more of a uh, write the story as it comes to you and then go back and make edits where it falls apart or what's the – I, I know there's no prescriptive process that like every writer yeah. does it differently. Right. Yeah. Cause there's always this endless debate of which is better. The, the outliners or they call them the pantsters, you know, by the seat of your pants. I'm definitely an outliner. Right. If anyone's listened to hello from elsewhere, they know I love outlines because that's all I talk about is outlines. So I love structure and, and planning it all out. And I need that. It, it makes me feel comfortable and safe. I'm not a, um, I'm not improvis- improvisational in any way, and so I can't just write. And I wish I could. I think it's a good, good exercise. But which which yeah. would you be? Which would you be? So that's that. I I think what I would end up doing is writing by the seat of my pants. But in the ethereal, I think I would be like the outline is obviously the better way to go. <laughs> I think even if I like wrote a successful novel by the seat of my pants, if I was like interviewed on, you know book watch is that a thing sure yeah uh-huh. uh they would be like well, what's your process and i'll be like well the way i do it is so wrong this book would be so much better if i planned it out beforehand <laughs> right in my head it's so much easier to edit if i've already had the structure there and then if i'm going by the seat of my pants there's going to be more to edit in the long run but i think it's more that i don't trust myself to be able to just write and have it cohesive and make sense um, without the structure, whereas I think other people trust themselves more than I trust myself, if that makes sense. But I think yeah, – so my other fear is that I would sit down to write. This is why I have the problem with the seat of my pants is that I would write. And as I wrote, I would learn more about the characters and the conflicts and the plots that I wanted to explore. And I would make little alterations to my character here and there to the point where at the end of the novel, we have completely different characters. Yeah. And it's not because they developed clearly throughout the book. It's because I know what I want now. Yeah. But I can't go back because of the setup 
has to be what it was. Right. And that's that's my fear. It's like it's like in Stranger Than Fiction when at the end they're like, well, it doesn't really make sense now. We have to go back and edit it. Of course, you can't edit it because it's the movie itself. But that that same idea. I I think it does make sense. Okay, to thank watch you. Saving his life when they that line in Stranger Than Fiction never really made sense to me because I'm like, well, I don't know. I like the movie, so right. I think the movie has a satisfying ending. <laughs> I don't think it'd be better if he was dead. Yeah. Uh, I think the thought that it would be better because. Listener, if you haven't seen Stranger Than Fiction, you should watch it. We covered it on Bacon and Eggs, so you get a, a great chance movie. to watch it. But it's a it's a fictional story where where our our uh, protagonist plays the role of the protagonist of a book that is being written by an author who kills her characters at the end of each book. Spoiler: He doesn't die. <laughs> um, I think that like like that shows growth for her. That I don't I don't know. I feel like the thought that like he should die at the end to me is like you value art more than human life. And also, yeah. you don't understand the art because we want to see character development and yeah. she is developing. Well, and if you are a creator, there's some aspect of you that wants to surprise your audience. And if your audience already knows that the person is going to die in everything you write, what better way to surprise them than to have the twist that they don't die? Right. Which is why they should have lost at the end of Empire Strikes or at the end of Return of the Jedi. Mm. What a twist ending. The right. Empire wins. <laughs> Ewoks litter the ground. Right. <laughs> These stormtroopers are as accurate as you say they are. <laughs> okay, here's my theory about the stormtrooper thing. Okay. Everyone talks about how the stormtroopers can't shoot, right? Mm-hmm. And the Empire, their biggest downfall is hubris every time. They're Because they think that they're too big to fall, right? Right. So the Empire, of course, would put their worst shots in the Death Star. Everyone's theories about stormtroopers being bad, bad shots mostly comes from the stormtroopers in the Death Star because there's so many of them and they can't shoot the few rebels that are running through the Death Star. But that's just right. because the Empire put their worst sharpshooters there because they don't feel like they're going to need sharpshooters inside the Death Star. Their best right. ones are elsewhere in the galaxy. That's a good theory. I also like the theory that we can see the laser bolts and they seem to be moving pretty slow, which mm. could be part of the reason why they're so inaccurate. Yeah. Or it could be that they're firing lasers, and if you are not locked on when you pull the trigger, you miss. Mm, makes sense. Which is hard to do. I'm not a, I'm not a gun guy. Not I have either. fired them in my life. Same. Yeah. It's been a while, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know that I will again, but I have same. in the past. Yeah, same. I probably wouldn't it's... wear a helmet doing it, though, either, if I were no, to. Yeah, that would make me a terrible <laughs> shot. I mean, I was a bad shot before, but it would make me a really bad shot then. I, I want to know I want to know what you loved about Willow because you said you loved it. I want to know what pleased you. I what I what really pleased me was all of the George Lucas. Like one of the big complaints about it was the cinematography, which I I do not understand that complaint even a little bit. Uh, he had these great wide shots where there was either either these beautiful natural settings or they were like moving paint like it wasn't a green screen it was like a moving yeah they match matte paintings so they did a lot of matte paintings in this yeah Yeah. and they they were like dynamic and i thought they were beautiful and well done and i i really really liked that um i loved is it val kilmer you see the batman here oh yeah mad mardigan mad mardigan i think that's a fantastic name right all the names Um, are so fun although some of them sound like bad to say like daikini that sounds like a bad word (laughs) <laughs> burgle cut yeah also sounds like a bad word yeah uh, but i thought val kilmer was 
fantastic as the sort of like handsome hero type character. Um, He's like the love child of Aragorn and Han Solo. Yeah. No, that's da- he, Val Kilmer here is Darren Chris if he played this role. <laughs> they look identical. I, I, when he even showed up on screen, I was like, he was not born yet when this came out. Right. <laughs> uh, if Darren Chris bulked up, that's Val Kilmer in, in Willow. Um, but I really liked his character. I thought, you know, he was fun and silly and they put him in these ridiculous outfits and he has this like growth where you see him meet like his fellow bounty hunter soldier whatever uh and he's like you fight for no one and then later on val kilmer's like i fight for willow right and i loved his his sword choreography that was so uh i think you want to talk about the the sequels being inspired by uh old lucas his backhand sword use yeah that's that's i mean because that's like the big critique of star wars is why would you ever use reverse grip with a sword because mad martigan did it that's why mad martigan did it that's the nod right there um one thing i didn't love was the love story for mad martigan mm, i didn't feel yep. like she owed him anything and yes. had any reason to turn yeah i think uh I, I agree with you i will say i think sorcia was my first crush as a child i'm pretty sure uh i can totally see why yeah yeah she's cool but i agree that the love story yeah yeah it's it's kind of what you expect from this era of movies yeah it's very i mean we keep going back to star wars but it is very han and leia with the sort of banter and they're fighting and then oh wait no they're in love i i did feel like han and leia i didn't feel like it was a stretch that between films they would have gotten closer yeah you know Mm -hmm. you know Uh, i love in willow i feel like there's a lot of really funny lines i i just find them so funny like uh um there's a there's a peck here with an acorn pointed at me genius perfect line <laughs> um you know the word my, the, the the usage of the word peck at all yeah. i thought was fantastic yeah um, like i thought like we're inventing this sort of uh slur yeah and exactly. and everybody delivered that line so well yeah uh my my favorite line in the whole movie is when mad Martigan says willow this is war not agriculture great line oh that's fantastic. a good one um, oh, uh, you know, speaking of the love story, when Mad Mardigan is sort of out of his love spell and he says, I don't love her. She kicked me in the face. Perfect yeah. <laughs> line. Perfect line. So there's good. a uh, when Mad Mardigan falls out of the sled and then the next shot of him is, is like this giant <laughs> cylinder snowball. <laughs> like, I don't know how you can watch that and not be having and not fun. at least giggle. Yeah, it's so much fun. He's a giant column of snow rolling down the mountain. It's so good. I like, so here's the thing about me. One of my favorite things in movies is just like ridiculous background dialogue that you have to like listen carefully to. Mm-hmm. This movie is a masterclass in just random silly background dialogue. Yes. Like like when they're in the Nelwyn village and you hear someone in the background, who's to blame for this? So good. Or the, the Darth Vader lookalike guy, the guy with the skull mask, his whole... The whole movie is him screaming background dialogue, generally about the child. Find the child. Find the baby. I have the <laughs> child. It's so good. I loved that costume, by the way. It's so cool. So it's cool. It's very, very cool. I couldn't tell if it's like a human skull or like an ape or maybe some sort of troll. It could be a troll. We have trolls in this movie. We do have trolls. I think a troll works for me. I liked that it was functional too. That like Mads Mardigan hits him in the face and it like cracks. 
Yeah. But it was still like a blow that he got to survive. I thought that was cool. Did did you find the trolls scary? Because I still am scared by them. I uh, I don't know if I like looked away at their introduction or mm-hmm. if what I saw as their introduction really was uh, where like all of a sudden it pans to a shot of of uh, Willow on like a bridge and then there's mm-hmm. just like two monkeys. Is that yeah, that's really the, first, the first. That's the first shot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was not fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, they didn't scare me so much. I didn't know. I thought they were the dogs at first. Mm. And then, of course, they had like ape faces. Um, You're not scared by the fact that Willow jabs one with the wand. It falls to the ground. Tentacles rise up out of the troll body and like rip away the troll's skin. And then it's just like a fleshy orb that has these two protuberances coming out. And then he kicks the fleshy orb into the swamp water and then it turns into a dragon. You know, I I had a feeling you might bring that up. Yeah. That part was a little gross. It, uh, it but I it happens simul- more than once. It, uh, yeah, not not with the Hydra dragon, but uh, when the Ezekiel or Raziel or whatever turns into the crow. Oh yeah, like yeah. The same sort of molting happens. Yeah. I think the troll part with the fleshy orb is simultaneously my favorite and least favorite thing of this movie. I think that's fair. I think the yeah. runtime is my least favorite thing. This is a 85-minute movie. No, I'd say a 105-minute movie at best that I watched for two hours and Yeah, it is a long minutes. two hours. Definitely, especially the first half. I think the second half is a little more fun than the first half, but you start to feel the runtime, obviously, in the second half. So that's right. the trick. I uh, And I, I think part of... I, if people complain about pacing in this movie, I totally understand. I watched yeah. it in chunks today, so I don't mm-hmm. know how I would have felt about the pacing, but it did feel like I was watching this movie for a very long time. Definitely. I will agree with that. And that's the thing about this movie. I feel like any criticism of it, I could totally see people that dislike it. I could totally see it. Just, I don't know. It just doesn't matter to me because it's fun. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with that until hop over into discord. I just, uh, sent over, uh, like a, what I guess is like a poster. I don't know. I'm pulling it up one second. But his artwork from the film is very 80s. It's got sort of in the sky the Darth Vader type character. And then sort of in front of him is the witch. And then you've got like Willow standing over there with the baby and Mads Mardigan and the the brownies. And you just got like the whole thing. But it's it's very similar to like the original posters for like A New Hope or Return of the Jedi. Um, and that sort of like drawn style, but also a little like Uncanny Valley realistic. It looks like a, a Brothers Hildebrandt art. They were some artists. They did one of the Star Wars posters. But the question in the bottom left corner, is that the Predator? What is that supposed to be in the bottom yeah, left corner? I, I don't know. I was going to ask you. I think that's the Predator, but it's it's had some some shampoo or something. I this Oh, let me see if it's I got a larger version of this photo. Luxurious hair, but I think that's the Predator. Okay, so it's... Uh, cannot tell what that is that's the trolls maybe every other version of this photo that i can find it like cuts off right there uh okay this is a nice big one let me copy this one and send it over see if i see if we can't get a closer look of course it didn't change it at all oh you can click on that one it makes it big okay i'm gonna do it oh i think it's the demon dog oh the demon dog but its hair is so much nicer than in the movie yeah like i was right about the shampoo thing here's here's what i want to talk about with this because we were talking about novels and things I will pick up any book that has a cover that looks like this. Oh, for sure. Immediately and be like, I want to read this one. And I, I, 
I think I expect from that book Lord of the Rings level fantasy, and I shouldn't because right. it is Willow level fantasy. <laughs> I I love ridiculous book covers. Um, oh, it's one of my favorite things. Um, yeah. Do you, so people say not to judge a book by a cover, but um, I do. Oh, I do too. Yeah, that's like the whole point. Yeah, it's supposed to catch your attention. But this. I also feel like a common criticism of this is that, like, it feels so 80s or it feels so such and such. I've never, like, I've seen things like this, obviously, with, like, Return of the Jedi and 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 things like that and Princess Bride. But I think I just named every movie like this. Like, it, it doesn't seem to me like there were 10 movies a year coming out that looked just like this. And this was run-of-the-mill, like, romantic comedies in the 20-teens. Yeah. You know, like, this still feels special to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a few fantasy at this level in the 80s that did also didn't do super well i think fantasy was trying really hard in the 80s and just people weren't picking it up like there's tom cruise movie called legend um but that one's not as fun as this there's lady hawk there's lady hawk which okay talk about a movie i've never seen lady I hawk think, so i would argue that's back on bacon and eggs we have to do lady hawk i think it's the most 80s movie ever made because it's like this but if the score was synthesizer, yeah, I was time. actually kind of sad that this wasn't right. I love the score in this, but a synthesizer would have really pushed the eighties ness over the edge. Yes, who is the guy in Lady Hawk? Rutger, Not Matthew Broderick. I know Rutger Hauer. Rutger right? Hauer. What what else is he in? Um, Blade Runner. No, no, no. I'm trying to think. Somebody what... in a thing. Come on. He looks so He's in Batman Begins. Does he have a big role in Batman Begins? He's the one that says, didn't you get the memo to Morgan Freeman? He's like that bored guy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know why I know this guy so immediately. He's, he's your dad. Rutger Hauer's your dad. It's my father. <laughs> Rutger Hauer is my own father. He was in Merlin 1998, which I've not seen. What What movies hit that nostalgic spot for you? Like, what did you grow up loving that maybe people haven't seen much of? You know, I feel like I get this question a lot, and... I like, I don't want to say I put no value in nostalgia because there are definitely things where I'm like, well, I love this because I loved it as a child. Yeah. But like, it is so fewer things than, than I think other people have, or at least maybe mine, like Batman and Robin or Batman plus Robin, the George Clooney one. Yeah. Was my jam. Oh yeah. I uh, loved that one. I, I, I loved that movie. Um, Emperor's New Groove was huge when I was a kid. Um, like Attack of the Clones was a big part of my childhood. I guess yes. I was like ten when that came out, nine or ten. Uh which it feels like too old for it to be my childhood, as though ten year olds are not like what right. children are. <laughs> yeah. Because when you're ten years old, you feel so much older. Right. You've you've accomplished something. Yeah. I do think on the on the flip side of parenting, I think we in our twenties and thirties lose sense of how old and how established a 14, 15, 16, 17 year old is. Yeah. Like not just feels, but like the amount of life that they've experienced that we don't give credit for. And I'm really scared that I'm going to do that with my children. But I know that even when like, if I talk to somebody and they say, oh, I'm 21 years old, I'm like, oh, you've experienced nothing in this world. You have no yeah. perspective whatsoever. But I know also that that is not true. I think I'll be okay because I'm 33 and I feel like I haven't. I feel like I'm what? people see 16 year olds as that's kind of how i identify mm. meaning i don't feel like an adult 
even at 33. So maybe I'll be okay when my kids are teenagers. I don't know. Are you nervous about teenagerdom? Teenager, teenage years? Definitely. I work with a lot of teenagers. And yes, I'm definitely a little bit nervous. I work at the, I work with like the not, I work with like 12, 13 year olds, which is a like barely teenager, even if. Once they get older, I think they're more they're more fun to just chat with. 12, 13, I think is a hard age. It is a rough age. That was uh, when I was in college and I did like summer camps and stuff. 12 and 13 year olds were my favorite. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I wasn't super interested in the high schoolers because I, I mean, I was like 19 and 20 at the time and I was essentially a high schooler. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I liked like probably like the level of respect that was given to me from younger right. kids. Um, although I. I'm sure the high schoolers did as well, but it was all in my head. I, I was, here I am. I was a dumb 19 and 20 year old, but I had life experiences that, that I don't appreciate from other 20 year olds. I don't know. Very, very interesting. Um, yeah. what are, what are you broadly speaking? What are you nervous about with teenage children? Because I don't know when I'm nervous. Like I know that when I was a teenager, I like dealt with like serious depression and bullying. Yeah. But like dating was also a big part of my teenage years and I I don't feel like that's going to bother me with my children, but I don't know. How did where where do you I'm nervous for the fact I mean it's it's completely selfish and I'll own it. I'm nervous for the fact that they will hate me, you know? Like because yeah. it just seems to be a rite of passage that for most people at at that age that you dislike your parents. Cuz I'm still at the stage where even when I mess up which happens a lot because I'm a human. Right. The kids are still like, you're the best dad, you know, just an hour later. Like, you're the best dad in the world. That won't happen when they're teenagers and they think I'm the worst dad. So I'm not excited for that, I think. I know. I remember a time and it like keeps me up at night now where my mom would say like, I love you. And for like, I would, I don't know how long it actually went for, but for more than a week in my brain, it was like months, but it was probably like two weeks. Uh, I would be like, I know you don't mean that. Oh, and yeah. if my child were to say that to me, I, I don't know how I would respond. Right? Yeah. I would be like, Oh God, Oh God. <laughs> uh, listen, child, you don't owe me anything, but I can't help but love you. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that that is sort of the mentality I try to have with everything. But Olivia's still like, she's actually entering a phase of like, I want to cuddle with you all the time. So yeah. It's, uh, it's it's very exciting. That's cute. Today That's actually. She uh she foregoed her her morning nap and instead insisted that I sit on the couch with her while she like hugged me and she watched yeah. Coco Melon and there oh. was no other option we could do yeah. nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. I love yeah. Little kids are the best because they just really like you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, see, we were supposed to do it at the top of the show, but we didn't. Yeah. If you were to give a score out of a hundred for uh, oh, yeah. Willow, what would you give? I think, and and completely recognizing that many of these points are probably nostalgia, but I'm I don't care. I'm gonna own it. Um, I don't get super nostalgic for a ton of things, but definitely Willow is one of them. I'm gonna say um, eighty out of a hundred. Eighty out of a hundred. Yep. I will say this without colored by nostalgia. The number that came to mind, I actually have been floating around everywhere from like 60 to 95 <laughs> uh, of just like, this is great. Everyone should watch this. Right. Uh, the number that, that I think feels right is 77. I like that. We're pretty close then. I love that. We are. Uh, we also, it's better than Soul. 
which is important to note. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how I feel. I don't know how I feel about that, but well, I don't think it'll pass it on our uh, big board here. That's okay. I'm just hoping it's not last. That's all that I. That's all that I really care about. Or maybe that's a fun badge of honor if Willow's last. I don't know. I think it's. It only I, has to beat uh, the Santa Claus, which did not do very well at all. <laughs> so I will be surprised if it's last. <laughs> I just know Valerie, my wife, is sort of dragging Willow through the mud. And and with her fifty out of a hundred, so. But a lot of other people gave it a fantastic score. I know, and fifty is not bad. I I like that you guys are trying to use the full range. So, yeah, I, I think that's are. fine. I just like to. Valerie and I don't fight about things other than Willow. That's our that's our point of contention. Is Willow? If your so. wife gave it a fifty, my wife would give it a one. <laughs> like <laughs> she. She, I was like, hey, will you watch this movie with me? And she was like, absolutely not. This looks the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> so, Sometimes dumb is what you need. Sometimes dumb is fun. Well, I, I don't think Emily is even moderately interested in fantasy beyond Potter. She's not interested in trolls being turned into fleshy orbs and then turning into dragons. Correct. She did yeah. like trolls and Trolls World Tour, though. But that doesn't happen in that movie, I don't think. You know, now that I mention it, it might happen, but <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> those movies are fun. I don't know if you've seen those. I haven't seen Trolls. I think my five-year-old daughter has seen the first one, I think, mm -hmm. at a friend's house a long time ago when friends existed. Yeah, back in the old days. Casey, I need you to just talk to the listener for until I finish tallying this score. Okay. Talk to the listener. Um, yep. Dear Yolks. I really stressed the L there in yolks. That doesn't feel right in my mouth. Yolks. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk to the yolks by name. Uh, but, you can. Okay. I didn't know if that was reserved for Tyler and Ethan, but um, hmm, talking. I'm not. See, you're seeing right now. Casey is not good off the cuff. <laughs> he was not prepared for this. It's not in his read, notes. Read your novel outline. My novel outline doesn't exist. I threw it away. <laughs> I'll tell you the story. It was about uh, this boy in a New England town, a boy and a girl, and some monsters stepped through some portals. And the only ways that they can survive is to dress up as mascots because the local mascot university, which is a thing, trust me, um, th it had all the costumes, right? So they go hide in the mascot school and dress up as mascots so the monsters don't realize... Oh, hey, those are kids. Nope, they don't think that. They're just monsters. And that's all that I remember. Something about mascots. Fun fact, I was the mascot in high school. I was Pioneer Pete. I had a big lumberjack-looking head with a beard. It was fantastic. I wore these cool, like, Pioneer-esque. They looked more like pirate boots. And it was a lot of fun. And I just ran around the football field or the basketball court acting like an idiot. I like this thing where you're talking. I didn't hear a word you said, but I, I really appreciate it. You'll just have to listen someday. Um, There's some really good scores in here. That makes me happy, you know? I'm not not alone in my love of Willow. I did find out there's a Willow board game. It's only like 30 bucks on eBay. So, you know, if anyone wants to get me a present, get me a $30 original Willow board game on ebay growing up i had willow spoons um we used them so often that the willow image on the spoon sort of peeled off and then it was just a regular boring tan spoon 
that no longer had Willow's face. But for a time, it was delightful. I love this story. I had a... Uh, what kind of spoons did I... I had a one spoon that went to the garbage disposal, just the handle. Mm-hmm. And so it was like cracked. And it was always kind of like, if you got that one at dinner time, then that sucked. Around the time of Revenge of the Sith, there were some Star Wars spoons that came out. Oh. They lit up. So like the spoon part was was semi-translucent and the handle part had a button. And if you push it, the spoon part lit up, right? Like a lightsaber? Like a lightsaber. Oh. And we still have uh, a couple of them. They don't work so well now, but the kids would always fight over them. Um, but apparently they're like really expensive on eBay. We I believe it. The man. Discord anything, learned the other day. Anything niche Star Wars is expensive. Right. All right, Casey, I have all the scores tallied. Okay. I gave it a 77. You gave it an 80. Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 51. Metacritic, a 47. Listener score was a 76. Wow. There's a lot of uh, go, 95s, yokes. 100s. It was 100, wow. 295s, and then a few uh, 290s, some 80s. So a lot of stuff that's up there. Lowest score from a listener was a 35. That's okay. Uh, and then the Rotten Tomatoes audience score is a 79, which gives it a bacon and egg score of 72. All right. Is that last? Not last. It is not last. It beats two of our Christmas movies. All right. So that puts uh, Willow right here, 72. It was a 72.2, so it's a soft 72, but a 72 nonetheless. That's so wonderful. Thanks, everybody. You've I'm done so me proud. Happy so you, happy. You... You you scored it so well. We did. I think it's a good movie. It doesn't quite beat the Chronicles of Narnia, which I think is fair. That's fine. Uh, yeah, it's about six points back there. Any final thoughts on Willow? No, I just I just love Willow, and I'm so glad that some people did. And it's okay if you didn't, but um, I highly Hard. recommend it. I don't think we spoiled too much, so if if we've interested you in Willow at all, enjoy it. It's on Disney Plus. It's uh. It takes a variety of actors. It's uh, good. I love the artwork for it. I love the movie. It's the, the cinematography. I felt like was fantastic, and I, I just don't understand people who disagree. There's three Wilhelm screams. I mean, three. I, I only caught one. There are three Wilhelms. So if you find them, you get a high five. More like a Willow scream. Oh! Wow! Ah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, Casey, Ethan always asks people where we can find them on the internet, but. You- yeah. I don't know if I want to know. I do want to know. Where do we find, find you, me. Ethan? Or where do we find you, Casey? <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at Ice Cream Manatee. You can find our podcast, Hello From Elsewhere, wherever you get podcasts. But on the social media, it's at Elsewhere underscore pod. It's so good. If you were ever listening to this show and you were like, man, Tyler, I wish they would just think about something for once instead of being such idiots then listen to hello from elsewhere or if you're like tyler and ethan don't think about anything which is perfect because that's how my brain is then challenge yourself and listen to hello from elsewhere (laughs) (laughs) and like like you said at the top of the show if you fall asleep while listening to hello from elsewhere that is totally okay too yeah what sleeping people will sometimes tell me they fall asleep listening to bacon and eggs and i feel like how do you do that I don't feel like I have a soothing voice. I feel like my voice is the sound of like grated brie, like a like a soft cheese through a grater. Just <laughs> awful. I like your voice, so I don't know what you're talking about. Well, thank you. That, that means the world. Do you ever fall asleep listening to me read The Velveteen Rabbit? No, but I don't really fall asleep to anyone talking. So. No. Do you, do you ever have trouble sleeping? 
Let's get personal. I I used to have a lot of trouble sleeping. Um, the last year, maybe two year and a half, I've actually been sleeping really well. So I think it's because I'm working more, and so I'm just more tired. I don't know. Do your uh, kids sleep through the night? For the most part, they were all really. Our kids are always bad sleepers as infants. They just don't sleep well. It takes a long time for them to sleep through the night, but they do pretty well now. Like once they reach a certain age, they do pretty well. And by yeah, certain I, age, I mean like year, year and a half. That's good. Olivia's always been like a good sleeper, even from like day one. You're so lucky. Yeah. We called the hospital and they were like, shh, don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell anyone. <laughs> um, what about you? Do you I, Are you having trouble sleeping? I, I had been um, for like probably three weeks there around Christmas. I, I could not sleep to save my life. And I started wearing my watch to like track my sleep to see how bad it really was. Because I think a lot of times I'll be like, oh, I'm not sleeping at all. And then really I'm getting like eight hours a night. And I'm like, oh, I just suck. Gotcha. Uh, but it really was bad. Um, I, I would check my like sleep score and it would be like, you slept for four hours and 20 minutes. And I'd be oh. like, oh, that's why I feel like garbage today. Yeah. Um, and then there would be nights where like Emily would go to bed. I should put Olivia to bed. And for whatever reason, I couldn't even like get into the bed until like one or two in the morning. Hmm. And I haven't been like that since like college when there was no rules. Yeah. And that sucked. Um, but these past few nights have been good. I've been uh, working out again in the new year, um, which I hadn't done for a while. So getting back on that grind wears you out a little bit, which is good. I need to sleep. That's good. I'm happy for you. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you, dear listener, for listening to Bacon and Eggs and Movie Lovers podcast. Uh, our music is by the very talented Andrew Scott Bell, uh, although maybe not this week. I don't know. I'm not editing this, and I don't think I have that file, so maybe it's by somebody else. I, I don't know. Um, and Ethan's not editing it because he's busy. Um, our artwork is by Vaishon Brandon. That is still true. Um, Bacon and Eggs is a production of WBNE. So... If you like this show and want to listen to more like it, there's a bunch of great shows on the network. You can go to WBNA.org to check them all out. There's a preview for Sincerely Us, our Broadway show, right here. Hi, I'm Eenie. And I'm Becca. And we host the casual musical theater podcast, Sincerely Us. We break down all the themes, motifs, and plot lines of your favorite musicals while also having fun and sharing our love for the craft. We cover new shows, old shows, popular shows, and everything in between. Everything from Hamilton all the way back to She Loves Me and beyond. We keep things light, explain in detail, and try to make the topic of musical theater accessible to everyone. So whether you've been into theater your entire life or have just gotten into it after seeing Hamilton, this is the show for you. With new episodes every Wednesday on WBNE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And now on Spotify. I love Becca or, and Eni. They're the best. I do too. They really are the best. I always talk about their Ratatouille episode, but I think this week they're doing another Ratatouille episode. What? Oh my. So listen to that. I believe with Jordan from this is, we're tying it all together. I actually, I think I'm going to get the whole network here in the next like two sentences. <laughs> so listen to Sincerely Us because Jordan's on it this week. And Jordan is the host of Late to the Party, where she's the dungeon master. Uh, but you can also listen to Casey on his podcast, Hello from Elsewhere, which he does with his wife, Valerie, who will be hosting Bacon and Eggs next week with Mary Clay of That's What I'm Talking About. I'm so excited for that. So excited. And I'm here and I was on Bagels when it was still around. I also interviewed you on Hello from Elsewhere, so... Yes, just that's a fun round. episode. That's a we'll talk about Ready episode. Player One. And I think a lot I have of Star a new. Wars too. <laughs> we'll talk about Star Wars. I think I have a new. 
I don't know if it's my favorite piece of fiction of all time, but the book that I think about more than anything else, other than Ready Player One, which I don't think about much now. I mean, not that I don't think about it as much now. The book that's been on my mind since I finished it is Ender's Game. Oh, um, yeah. But I, I have a hard time saying that publicly because I know that Orson Scott Card right. is like overtly a bad person. Yeah, that's a hard um, one, too. I So that was my favorite book as a teenager. I read that book at least once a year, you know, used it for every book report that I could. I loved that book, but I haven't read it for a very long time. I I think I will. So in the book challenge that I'm doing with the hosts of Sincerely Us, um, which everybody can join, of course, but it's really between us, but everyone can join. Right. The trophy is for one of you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we only get so many rereads th- throughout the year, like 75% of books have to be new. Um, but I think I will burn a reread on Ender's Game. I think that like if I can set myself up so that I have a vacation or something and I can just bomb through it in 48 hours, that would be like such a satisfying 48 hours for me. Absolutely. And it's a good one to do a reread on because I have no interest in the sequels. So it still keeps my reread space open. Whereas if I were to do like Potter, there goes seven books. For sure. Of like a potential 14 throughout the year or 12, somewhere in that range. Although, who knows? Maybe I'll reread Potter anyway. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's Potter. It's so easy to... If there's one thing I've learned from picking up like every book that catches my eye, it is that those books really are fantastic. Right. They they really are so good. Agreed. Maybe you could read them this time and look for the Willow influence, because it's got to yes. be there. It's got to be. <laughs> Mad Mardigan would make a great character name. Oh, Yeah. For like a ghost or something. Oh, that's the Mad Modigan. <laughs> I mm-hmm. love that. Uh, so listen to WB&E. We have a bunch of really good shows coming on soon. We have three uh, that we're onboarding within the next month or so. Uh, there have been some personal challenges that have come up that may push that back a little bit. But hopefully as soon as possible. So new shows on the horizon. Uh, Casey, any any anything else I need to say? Any other way that I wrap this show that I can't think of? I don't know, but just just thanks for having me on. This was so much fun. Well, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Anytime. Until next time, arrivederci. Are you suggesting we go home?